Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 168th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that flips cardboard faster than your ex flipped the table when they lost. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host, as always, is Travis Allen, aka at Wizard Bumpin, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. What are you up to this fine, this fine evening, this fine week? It is just as busy as it was last week, and the week before that, and the week before that. Uh, MTG Finance is completely off the hook right now. It has been a wild several months here, for yeah. sure. And not not getting any calmer. We're just about to hit Modern Horizons preview season, which is going to be an absolute firestorm of disbelief. Yeah, that is going to be there's going to be a lot of movement on a lot of cards and the effects of that are going to last for a while too, I suspect. Well, there's been like raging debates about how good the set will actually be. There are members of our Discord that believe that this is just going to be like a pocket of good cards and a whole bunch of like kind of throw-in reprints and that just doesn't align with the intel I'm hearing at all. I'm hearing that this is going to be potentially the most powerful set since like Urza's block um, and full of absolute insanity. And we've already got quotes from various people at Wizards commenting on the complexity and the number of mechanics in the set. And I think that the inclusions are going to catch a lot of people off guard. Yeah, I do remember uh, I we caught uh, I caught it like third hand, right? So it was like Saffron Olive had tweeted something that someone from Wizards said, but this was meant to be sort of a planar chaos time spiral two type of thing, like a throwback to that era, which was widely regarded as a a good set, but also extraordinarily complicated and difficult. Uh, Full of throwbacks to old magic stuff that people um, wouldn't know unless you'd been playing magic like forever ago and basically was really cool for knowledgeable players, but had absurd barriers. Um, But it's basically a payoff for people who had been with the game for a long time. So if that's I mean, if that's really what they're delivering, this is going to be a bonkers set for sure. Yeah, I suspect we're going to get a whole bunch of crazy, crazy things. Let's hope. Um, so what else is crazy? What's that? Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. I'm sure that if they aren't already, they will soon be taking Modern Horizons uh, pre-orders. So use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at Cool Stuff, Inc. to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Uh, So did you have something there? Yeah, it's not like you were about to say something before I cut you off. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you what the what was on our agenda this week, on the off oh. chance that it might be new and surprising. Well, don't get your hopes up. This week's going to be fairly similar, fairly familiar. 
segment one again <laughs> because we just recorded 25 minutes before we realized that we didn't update the prices but we had the card names right so take two on segment one our top movers cards that have moved in price this week maybe a little abbreviated segment two our cards to watch the cards that james and i think might increase the most in price for over the coming week Coming months, segment three, our metagame week in review. We have a standard and modern mocks. Uh, and segment four, topic of the week, uh, modern horizon. Spoilers start next week. What does that mean for you? Let's uh, start in here. Fairy Temporal Archmage starting off the week. Um, he is the commander from the, the, the headlining card from Commander 2014. Uh, there's very low supply. Only, I think you said... Uh, 25 minutes ago, there was only one guy selling them. You're not going to find them in bulk very often because people might have bought, wouldn't have bought a bunch of these products. They might have bought one, which means there's generally only going to be one in inventory for people. You know, if they're selling their old collections, so supply is really low. It's not going to get refilled from anywhere. It's in a good amount of EDA track decks. Planeswalkers are better today. 30 to 40 bucks uh, looks like it could probably even, but the cheapest copy is like 100, so probably looking at a retrace to about 60. Did I miss nope. anything there? Totally on point. So next on the list, we've got Celestial Perfect. Kieran. Um, noteworthy, uh, moving to 9 to 12, 33% gain at a point where we might actually be expecting this kind of flash-in-the-pan type combo to be resulting in a retrace on the relevant card. But there's a couple of things going on. I think that there's a significant number of people that think that the uh, Ugin's Conjurant, um, Celeste, uh, sorry, the Celestial Kieran, um, yeah, Ugin's Conjurant combo, that basically Armageddon's, um, in modern is interesting enough to take to your local FNM for like a Friday night magic thing. It's also relevant that the, if you're going to run the combo, you probably want all four copies of Celestial Karen. And it's only seen the one printing from saviors of Kamigawa, which was many, many moons ago over a decade ago. Um, so if the casual demand over overtakes the number of copies that Bylist can take in, then it could post up over 10 and stay there. Yep, I don't think the combo is good, but uh, you know, one of the one of the tricks to Magic Finance here is that the card doesn't have to be good. You just have to have people who want to buy it, uh, and that's good enough to move prices. So, a little stickier than we would have expected, but maybe enough people care. Um, after that, Chandra Fire Artisan wore the Spark card, non foils four two five fifty. So a nice little pickup here for James, who's got uh, I don't know one hundred or two hundred copies in transit from Europe, or if he doesn't, he will soon. Fingers crossed um, that they don't get caught in customs before the buy list collapse. Come on, Mono Red, win another, yeah. win another big tournament. Yeah, right. You need that. Uh, then after that, Chalice of the Void Masterpiece Series, 200 to 300. Um, there's one available right now on TCG Player for 225 or so, which is about a 50%, $50 jump over the uh, market price on TCG Player. So already a pretty good move there. Uh, we don't know. But after that, it's like 300 bucks. There's only the one copy that cheap. Um, so percentage-wise, only about a about 50% gain. But value-wise, it's a big jump. I've got a couple that I'm not selling right now. At least I'm not selling at 225. I'm happy to hang out a little bit longer just to see where Modern Horizons goes. I don't think Chalice of the Void is going to get weaker. Um, you have a lot of cards that are going to power up the format. They're unlikely to raise the converted mana cost of the format, which means Chalice of the Void should stay pretty solid. Um, and again, we're not getting any more adventures anytime soon. So I like it. I like holding on for now. Flooded Strand foils. These are original pack foils from Onslaught, which is even older than Celestial Kieran. 
Um, going from about 200, 210 up till 300 plus. This is a follow-up, I think, on the Scalding Tarn pick last week, which worked out pretty well for whoever got to it early enough um, and probably set off a chain reaction where people started looking around at the other original pack foils for fetch lands to see how short the supply was. The answer is they are all more or less in short supply. Also pretty tough to move. Um, not the kind of thing you can flip really easily. Um, because, you know, play sets can be a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars, depending on which ones you're talking about. And, um, but not a bad mid to long term hold if you could have snapped them up at the right moment. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we, we are definitely like, yeah, whatever. The card's fine. <laughs> uh, uh, Got a Ketra, got Eternal Ketra out of War of the Spark. Oh, this number was still, this number was right. Okay, 9 to 15 on, on Got a Eternal Ketra. Uh, showing up in the uh, Bant mid-range decks in Standard. I'm feeling particularly vindicated because a couple of weeks ago we had Dan Fournier on, and I said I thought this was probably the best card in the set, so I'm I'm happy to see it here. Not a huge jump if you bought uh, before because you agreed with me and thought it was good. Now is probably the time, most likely the time to get out unless you've been testing and think it's absurd and you want to hold out for like 25 come the fall. But even still, it'll probably drop in August. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. It, it also has a chance at hitting 20 or 20 plus in in the fall if it's still three or four of in a deck and it stopped being opened. So we'll see what happens there. There are a lot of war cards that are going to be in a similar boat um, with takeoff potential if uh, standard treats them well uh, on the rotation. Um, Master of Cruelties, Dragon's Maze, Mythic. Um, foils going from 19 to 44. Pretty sure this is on the back of DJ calling it out on uh, Brainstorm Brewery last week. He was talking about non-foils and how they had had a reprint not so long ago, I think in a supplemental product. But the foils, of course, have only had, ever had the one printing. Um, Dragon's Maze was opened a ton, had very little in it other than this, a couple of other commander cards, and Voice of Resurgence. Um, but it's been long enough now that the foils are, are drained pretty low, and it is a pretty fun little uh, slapstick to put somebody to one life and leave them on the precipice of disaster in Commander. Yeah, this card's pretty <clears throat> pretty powerful there. Uh, another one that I wrote about a while ago, a couple months ago, I think at this point, um, a powerful effect for sure. Not the type of thing I really want to do to people in Modern because it's so binary, uh, but there's no arguing that it is effective at what it does. Uh, Walker of Secret Ways out of Plane Chase Anthology. Now we're talking about cards that we didn't already talk about. Well, one of them. Uh, Non-foils, three to seven here. Uh, Eureka is showing up in the uh, EDH rec most played commanders for the last month. Uh, Walker Secret Ways is definitely going to be a part of that deck. It's a good ninja. There are not too many of those. Yeah. Uh, it looks like it's it's been printed a couple times. Betrayers of Kamigawa and then Plane Chase 2012 and then an anthology. But all those are real old. Yeah. So there's a few ninjas that are not currently modern legal that have a chance of showing up in Modern Horizons. And if that indicated some kind of a ninja theme, then the modern legal ninjas would be would make sense as targets, um, especially since Yuriko was, uh, could have therefore been a plant uh, when she showed up uh, last year. So be very curious to see how that plays out. Yeah, uh, of all the tribes to come back with, that would be a fun one. No question. Yeah, fun there. and weird, which seems to be what they're going for with Modern Horizons. 
Yeah. Uh, Quark, auto- Quark cartographer uh, out of Zendikar foils three and change to 14. You've got Popper written down here, which I think is a pretty reasonable guess. Um, I, I know it's, I play it in an EDH deck. Uh, it's got mediocre EDH demand at like 4,000, which isn't insignificant, but it, and it is a very old foil. Popper is probably a little more, a little better of a guess, uh, but either way, that's what we're looking at. Uh, but it's a common, it's coming from Zendikar, so the supply is real low now, but if they ever reprint it, it's going to get blown out of the water. Yeah. Liquid metal coating at the top of the list this week. Foils going from 3 to 16 on the back of being used in two separate Karn the Great Creator decks in Modern that have both either 5-0'd or finished in the top 8 of a, uh, I think it was an SCG Classic, 6th place uh, Mono Red Prison List, which is also 5-0'd on Magic Online, um, which is Goblin Elements, Blood Moons, uh, Chalice of the Void, Karn the Great Creator, and a bunch of toolbox elements, including a main deck liquid metal coating, and I think one on the sideboard. And then there's also the mono white, uh, you know, total spec box, uh, uh, legendary deck that went 5 0 on Magic Online, which is Kithion, um, Izamaru, uh, Four Mox Ambers, Karn the Great, Great Creator. Um, both of the Thalias, uh, a real wacky one, um, real wacky take on prison that has a bunch of toolbox elements. And I'll tell you, if Karn keeps like maintains his presence in at least half the different lists he's showing up in in the first month of his release, um, there's a pretty good chance that a lot of the toolbox elements are going that haven't seen a reprint anytime lately are going to be able to hold their plateaus. Yeah, there is some weird stuff in his sideboard, in his toolbox kit, and we don't know if this is all going to work, but people are certainly giving it the old college try, uh, and it's faring better than I probably would have guessed at this point. Um, so it'll be curious to see where all that goes. Following up on that, our top... Oh, <laughs> been doing this for too long. Uh, segment two, our cards to watch. Uh... James, you've got one extra this week, so why don't you uh, why don't you get us? Well, started? and we are clearly of uh, a similar mind on what some of the targets should be right now. Um, Mythic Edition three has hit the streets; it is in hands and being shipped out to people. Tons of kerfuffle over many, many, many of the uh, orders that people thought they placed getting canceled, of course, as we covered last week. And then there was a subsequent set of cancellations from people that had pre-ordered singles from people that thought they were getting orders that ended up canceled. Um, But we are now out the other side of that for the most part and into the territory where people are, we are seeing a bit of a flood of supply as people race to the bottom to unload their singles. And there's some very interesting arbitrage that is setting up between North America and overseas on this set, because given the timing of when the sale went down and the um, just how quickly it all unfolded, um, the you know being in Australia or France or Japan and trying to order versus somebody who was only you know several hundred miles away from the servers um, probably made a difference, and we're seeing that play out in. Um, you know, the obvious uh, lack of inventory on sites like Card Market, uh, the ma- major platform in Europe, and also in Japan and, and other places. And as a result, there is 
um, you know, you have 40 and $50 Mythic Edition 3 Planeswalkers that can be exported over to Europe for $10, $20, $30 gains, and that's just in the very short term. As time goes on and the copies over there drain even harder, um, it's going to be that much harder to restock because there's going to be less, you know, free copies floating around that haven't already been claimed by people that intend to, you know, hold them in their collections for years on end. Um, so... I like targeting the cheapest copies of most of the good ones. And the first one I would point out is Tezzeret the Seeker. Um, when I first got the full list of Mythic Edition 3 Planeswalkers a while back, one of the first things we did was kind of take a guess at what these uh, cards were going to be worth in the long term. And uh, pre-orders for Tezzeret started as low as $40, and I immediately snapped some off, most of which got canceled, but a few of which have actually shipped. And I still like it in the 50 to $50 range for a 80 to 90 sell target, whether or not that is overseas um, or you just hold it domestically and, and sell it into the domestic market, you know, six to 12 months down the road. This card shows up as one of the top 30 blue cards in commander of all time. According to stats on EDH rack, it's in like 17,000 decks. Um, it's excellent in uh, pretty much any artifact based commanders 99. Um, and, you know, does so much work in a format where untapping a soul ring um, can be a massive mana boost and really let you accelerate your game plan. Um, the art is, I think, one of the the best of the uh, of the set. And yeah, I, I've been picking them up forty five to fifty dollar range, and as, I'd go as high as fifty five. Yeah, I think that's probably quite solid, especially if you've got uh, the, you know, if you're you're buying and selling only in America, this is likely going to be a pretty solid pickup. Not necessarily going to outpace some of the other options, but still reliable uh, and, a, and a good choice for diversification. And if you have a uh, somewhere else to out these, um, like MKM or uh, local trade binders in another country type of thing, uh, they could prove very profitable for you there uh simply because of the distribution of this particular set really the only people that are going to have the option to take me3 cards and sell them overseas uh is mostly going to be vendors and there's not going to be that much of that going on so especially once you get what two months three months out uh and like all of the copies that were going to get sold got sold and moved over and ended up in people's hands that wanted them, that's when you're really going to hit the, the bottleneck on supply. Yeah. So give me your first pick. Uh, I'm going to start out with uh, Winter Orb here. Um, so I was poking around, and you know, I'll, I'll say my article and the pot and this cast here, I've been focused on EDH a lot lately um, for a variety of reasons, uh, one of which is that uh, EDH is just a good as we've learned for over a while now, a, a good source of pickups. But Modern has just been really kind of tough to pick at just because we know Modern Horizons on is... God, I keep wanting to say on the horizon. That is so annoying. Uh, we know Modern Horizons is so close, so I'm hesitant to go too hard on Modern cards. So I went poking around and I, I took a different path and I'm like, all right, I'm going to go look at some sets. I'm like, I'm going to go look at Eternal Masters because I was just kind of browsing and I saw EMA and I'm like, all right, let's go see what's out there. Let's go check some prices on EMA cards because I bet there's some some raunchy targets people have kind of forgotten about. And I found some. So Winter Orb is one of those. You can find these. Uh, the foils on uh, are about $15 right now for Winter Orb. Foil Winter Orb. It's the only one. Every other artwork is the Polar Bear, but none of those are in foil. 
Uh, it's in about 10,000 EDH decks, so it's actually quite popular. It's more popular than I thought. I figured Winter Orb was going to be like a three to 5,000 card, but it's 10,000. Uh, supply is real short. Uh, there's not that many copies available on TCG Player. The ramp is real steep. Um, I don't think you can buy too many copies under 20, and then it jumps up pretty fast. So, I mean, really, one person could just go pick up every copy under 25, and then there's going to be like nothing left before 40, really. Uh, and there's no other foil copies of this. So it's not the type of card I think you're going to sell a lot of. You're not going to sell it frequently. Um, but definitely, you know, one to three, four copies maybe will probably serve you pretty well. Oddly enough, Card Kingdom's not offering anything for the Eternal Masters foils, which I seems like a, a little bit of a scary signal given that it's the only foil printing. Um, but I like the ramp. I mean, on TCG, going from 14 yeah. to 26 or 7 or so, um, relatively limited total inventory, pro- probably is not going to show up in Modern Horizons. I don't think that's the kind of card they want to throw into Modern. Um, it makes games glacially slow, terrible for the tournament scene. Um, so probably safer from a reprint for at least a year, maybe more. Um, could be years. Um, so I would I would treat this kind of thing as go shallow, Pick up some copies under 15, maybe four, pull them to for six to 18 months. And if you've got a better option in the interim, then you can always flip out of it and, and move on. Yep. Uh, what do you got a second for us? So the other one of the uh, myth editions that might seem expensive to people, but probably isn't, is the Nicol Bolas Dragon God. Um, some people have been complaining that the art uh, is actually a lot darker than it was supposed to be on Mythic Edition 3 cards. But I have a feeling that's not going to hold them back too much. Um, there are copies as low as $90. Um, I scooped a $89 copy on TCG this afternoon. Um, and I could easily see these getting up to 140 at some point. The, the card is extremely strong um, in Planeswalker Strategies and Commander. It's a great casual card. Um, and it's got buy list backing. CK is offering $110 in credit. Um, so, you know, picking up a $90 copy basically has no risk associated with it. And you could look to out that in Europe over 150 or just hold domestically, as we said earlier, and just can't see how it goes wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, $100 as a buy-in price is pretty nuts, but at the same time, why are we really going to see it fall? Like Nicol Bowles foils, you know, I talked a couple weeks ago about Nicol Bowles foils because um, I liked uh, the Ravager and it was like, you know, it was like $40 for foil Ravagers, but that was the cheapest Nicol Bowles foil card basically out there. Everything else was 70 and 80 bucks. Uh, and I don't know why something like this would be any cheaper. So, so it's hard to argue with that. I do have one self-criticism on this pick. It's that there are at least four high-end versions of this card that have all been released simultaneously. So there's the Mythic Edition version. There's the Japanese alt art version. There's uh, uh, English foils. And presumably you could also compare Russian, German, Korean foils, and maybe even the regular art Japanese ones, since people don't seem that enthused with the alt art for this particular card. So there's multiple ways people could head if they're looking for an expensive Nicol Bolas Dragon God and the demand being spread out over those copies probably means you have to consider them as a complete card pool um, in terms of how quickly it'll move up. But what one of the things we saw with um, 
with other mythic editions that caught on in standard, for instance, like Kaya or Zava Serper seeing standard plus modern play led to her mythic editions, which were originally undervalued in the $35 to $40 range, getting up to like 70 So it's possible that even though the market has already priced in some success on Nicol Bolas, um, that Dragon God mythic editions before he rotates out, um, you know, which he has a full year and a half to do, um, could get pushed up into the 150 range just on combination of casual and competitive demand yeah you know the the multi multiple copies is definitely the a sticking point for him but i think that's going to be fine and for the most part because of the alternate border is probably the most appealing uh for most people like the, the your standard player who wants a cool nickel bowls is going to default to the mythic edition one and only opt for the other ones if they're have a very specific purpose for wanting those, like the all art Japanese thing. The other thing is that even pack foils are closing in on this price anyway, and certainly alt language pack foils are already above it. So, for instance, like Russian foil versions are in the two fifty to three hundred dollar range, and that's true of the alt art version as well. So, this is actually one of the cheaper of the available premium versions. Yeah, which I which I, I believe because now is the glut. Uh, I mean, if there's any mythic edition three cards that you want, I think the the moral of the story here is buy now because as che- as expensive as these mythic edition three cards are, uh, there's no possible reason for them to be cheaper later. Like this is the high point of supply. People just got their boxes in the mail. Uh, they're listing them to make their money. They're quick flip and people who want them are going to buy them. And then that's going to be it. Okay. What's your next uh, pick? My second pick this week, uh, similar concept, but a little bit of a different strategy. Um, I'm looking at Dak Faden. Uh, I went again, I was going through EMA and I stumbled upon Dak Faden uh, and the, the foils there, but you have both the uh, EMA foils and the mythic edition two foils which we haven't really talked about a lot. We know that the Mythic Edition 2 kind of fell flat on its face. This is the one that Wizards listed for sale in a limited supply. And that's how we found out that there were 12,000 of them because they accidentally told us through like backend numbers and then it didn't sell out at all because nobody cared, blah, blah, blah. Both copies are roughly around the $60 range. Conspiracy pack foils are about 120 uh, they used to be about 250 Then we got the other printing, um, so that came down pretty good. But if you check out the Ravnica Allegiance Mythic Edition, which is Mythic Edition 2, Dak Faden's actually the most popular card on the list. Um, he is the best-selling Mythic Edition 2 card on TCG Player. Uh, and the other ca- cards ahead of him have higher prices. So the cheapest Dak Faden is like a little under $60. The second most popular card, Tamiyo the Moon Sage, cheapest copy there, about 67, 70 bucks. Um, so he's cheaper than cards that are less popular, which is to me a, a gap in the market. So, I, and possibly attributable to the fact that there's also the EMA foil. But either way, I think with the conspiracy foils at $120 um, and kind of hanging around there, I think both the EMA foils and the Mythic Edition foils, especially probably the Mythic Edition foils more so, are, are pretty solid at 60 You can probably ride these up towards about $100 or so. Um, I haven't, I didn't do the math to try and figure out whether there would be more EMA pack foils of Dak Faden than Mythic Edition 2s. We know that the like grand total Mythic Edition 2 foils would be about 12,000. 
Um, but that's assuming they've all been sold and they're in the market. 12,000 isn't that many. Probably fewer EMA foils than that, but they don't look as cool. So it might be a wash there. But I don't know. I think Dak Faden foils are probably pretty well positioned. There's a lot of goodness going on here. First of all, um, Conspiracy and Eternal Masters are basically the same card. They use the same art. Um, and so they compete more against each other than they should against the Mythic Edition, and it doesn't really make sense that the Mythic Edition is basically the same price as the Eternal Masters foils, but the Eternal Masters foils are in short supply as well. Okay, so now we can sidestep and say, okay, but what if DAC gets put into Modern? This is something that uh, LSV and... Uh, oh, geez, I didn't even think about that. Matt and Ass were talking about on uh, their Channel Fireball segment this week where they were talking about the cards that they most wanted to see in Modern and that they were uh, least uh, interested in seeing. And they suggested seemed to suggest that DAC would be okay in Modern. Um, however, I would, I would argue that while printing DAC into Modern Horizons uh, might uh, create an influx of foils that would challenge the Eternal Masters of Conspiracy copies, it probably sells out the Mythic Edition copies. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Because... There's not a deck that off the top of my head it snaps right into anyway, but I'm not sure it matters. Just just the potential to play it in the format is, would be enough to knock Dak Faden Mythics up over $100. Complete, yeah, completely agree. If this is a spoiler, let me put it this way. If I am sitting at my computer and I see Dak Faden in a, as a Modern Horizon spoiler, I am taking off for TCG Player and buying as many Mythic Edition copies as I can. Yep. Because a lot of people are going to want to play this card and make it work. Doesn't have to be good. Just has to be appealing. And him showing up in Modern will absolutely do that. I hadn't even thought about that when I picked this. I I think this is actually my favorite pick out of our list this week. Because if the reverse is true and it doesn't get printed into Modern Horizons, well, then all the the foil copies are free and clear for probably six months to a year, right? Uh, Yeah, I don't even know where else they'd be likely to put it at that point. Um, Because it wasn't in any Commander product, so you'd miss that later this year. And we don't have another summer product, I don't think, that he'd show up in. So you'd probably be good until spring of next year, maybe, or fall, perhaps. Or even further. I mean, the the only impetus to really make it a priority is if it's in Modern, in which case Horizons is their is their outlet for that. If they bypass it for Modern, then they don't. They, then the demand profile for non foil copies is already mostly handled because the non foil copies are very reasonable right now. Um, so, yeah, I, I like this because almost no matter what happens with Horizons, this has, is destined to go up within six months and it could be a lot sooner if Horizons hits. And those are the kind of specs we're looking for. Yeah, that's nifty. Nifty. I didn't think about that. Good, 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 good take on that. Good, good job telling me my pick was even better than I thought it was. Yeah, I love it when you're extra smarter, more smarter than you thought you was. Yeah, smart, harder. Um, yeah, so my final pick is Finale of Devastation Foils. I like the look at this for mid to long term. Not clear that we're fully at peak supply yet for War of the Spark, given that there are supply issues. Like this, One of the reasons that a lot of the cards for War of the Spark are much higher than they should be at this point is because the set has essentially sold out. Um, and it has sold out in Japan because the Japanese product is so in demand and um, very expensive right now. And even in North America, the first wave totally sold out. It was one of the best-selling Magic sets of all time. Vendors are telling me that it either is a slightly above Dominaria or neck and neck with it. Um, it's just a complete and total home run. And so that's going to float all the singles prices a little higher than they're supposed to be. Uh, because the market just the dealers can't really crack boxes to bring to challenge the uh, floating EV driven by player demand for the cards. 
Um, however, all of that being considered, Finale of Devastation has showed up in 5-0 lists in Modern already, and it's a shoe-in to be one of the top 20 commander cards in the set um, for you know long-term play by green mages. Um, green would be probably the, arguably the strongest color in commander, um, if oh. not in the top two. It's, it's, I don't think it's a question. Um, and on you know the basis of all the crazy things it can do, it has that open-ended synergy profile that we've talked about a million times for Commander. Uh, very confident it's going to end up in 10,000 decks like two, two years out on EDH Rec. Um, foils are currently at 22, and if it was a rare, that wouldn't excite me. But as a mythic, that's pretty sweet. Because if it ends up as a 3 or a 4 of in a deck that is like tier 1.5 or tier 2 in Modern... Um, and sees precision commander play, then this will be a $40 foil in, say, 12 months. Yeah, this is uh, this has got a couple of vectors going for it. The first is that um, it could show up as a card modern, right? or I'm sorry, standard. This could be good in standard, yep. which would definitely help, which typically isn't going to, like, being good in standard, like a tier two deck, isn't a huge multiplier for foils, especially in mythics, but it definitely doesn't hurt, right? It's solid. Um, in modern, it's a playable green sun zenith. The extra mana is rough for sure, uh, but at the same time, it gets creatures of any color. So it's you know its closest competitor would be Court of Calling, which is one extra mana, but you can convoke it. So, you can't see my hands, but I'm doing a maybe 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 type of hand motion. Um, <laughs> so like it's got viability there for somebody who can crack it. Uh, for instance, it's the type of card that you might play in uh, the, the Vizier of uh, the Vizier Infinite Mana combo decks, where you can tutor for one half of the combo that you're missing, and also when you have infinite mana, you can go get any creature out of your deck with this card. You also have how good it's going to be in EDH. Green Sun Zenith is humongously popular in EDH because people are jerks. Uh, this card is even better in EDH because the extra mana doesn't matter, and it gets you an extra color card or any color creature, which is obviously fantastically useful in EDH. And it's even got that additional ability stapled on that, like, it just turns all your crap into Crater Hoof Behemoths, right? Like, which is just, an, just like, okay, sure, why not? Like, can you imagine tutoring for Crater Hoof Behemoth with Finale of De- Devastation at 10? Like, okay, my entire team gets 20, 20 haste to trample. Like, it's just stupid. So, did, did uh, we the, already mention the part where it searches graveyards? Uh, I didn't even... <laughs> God, this card does... What? A lot. does a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, yeah, the haste, the accent. Like, you could play this as just Green Sun Zenith for one extra mana and tutors for non-green cards. Like, that is a card that I have in my head. But it's also Graveyards and also has the over 10 clause. Like, sure, why not? So I, I definitely think foils here are, are curious. I don't know if I want to buy a 20 today, but I definitely want to keep my eye on it and see what's happening in Standard or Modern. And if I see any interest there, then I'm more likely to buy yeah, I mean, this is the kind of thing where the kind of card I like to be have ready in a cart if a 10 or 15% coupon shows up. Um, or if you're using, for instance, uh, the Finance 5 coupon with Cool Stuff Inc. Or any of the other coupons that are available to our pro traders in the Discord. Um, these are, you know, good places to, you know, throw 5, 7, 10% off and lock something down under 20 bucks that you know is going to double up in a relatively short period of time. Yeah. Um, okay. Anything left on this before we move along here? I do have two things I wanted to call out that almost made my list this week and then didn't. Uh, 
Bolas's Citadel and Karn's Bastion are actually the top two cards currently tracking um, on EDH Rack for War of the Spark as most popular and are probably likely to land in the top five, even though Jason said when he was on that he didn't think Karn's Bastion would last. Um, I have a suspicion it might. Uh, being colorless and proliferate being such a open-ended ability um, leads me to believe that they both have a, a solid shot at posting up as a couple of the most important cards from, from War of the Spark. So first of all, they're rares, not mythics, so that counts against them. There's also the factor that... Um, both of them have promo foils. It's almost like Wizards knew they would be important. So the launch party uh, and release event promo for Bolas Citadel is for Planeswalker Weekend, which I believe is not this weekend, but the next. Um, and it's going to be like, I guess, a two-day thing or a three-day thing, and you'll get it for participating on that weekend. So, you know, tens of thousands of copies will be handed out. Um, I would argue that the art is better on those copies, and those are the ones you'd want to get, if anything. Um, and Karn's Bastion also has a promo, which also arguably has better art, which is kind of odd because a lot of the times I feel like the, the worst art ends up on the promo. Um, if these both didn't have promos, I think they'd be snap by at current foil prices, especially with any kind of a coupon. The, um, currently I think Bolus's Citadel foils, uh, pack foils are about eight or $9 and the launch party promos are like four bucks. Um, I like the range, but I don't like the number of copies that are hitting the market. So it feels like the kind of thing I'm going to look for a Star City sale on like late summer. Yeah, these are exactly the type of cards that I find myself like looking up on, you know, Scryfall and, and TCG player frequently, but never oftentimes not being able to pull the trigger and like having to wait for uh, for the numbers to look a little better. I always want them to be viable and sometimes they are, but, you know, it can take a while just because there's so many copies so one of the cards that LSV was talking about that could potentially make its way into Modern Horizons was Cabal Ritual um, from Torment, which is one in a black to, to basically Dark Ritual. Um, and then if you're on Threshold, it makes five black. A card like that could be the kind of card that turns on Bolus' Citadel for Modern. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's going to be, you know, we're... Uh, Yes, I'm going to stop here because we're on uh, this Modern Horizons is our last section, and I don't want to get too far into it at this point. But, but my, roughly, my, yes. my point being that Bullets of Citadel definitely has a future in EDH to the point where some people think it's like a Paradox Engine level of brokenness that may or may not get banned one day. Um, and given how powerful the card is just from raw power level, um, I have my suspicions about it showing up in a deck in Modern at some point. Yes, I, I I don't disagree. Okay, so let's move right along into metagame we can review. We're going to go over the modern uh, uh, Magic Online Championship series. There was a an event, and also a standard mocks went down. In the modern event, it was Amulet Titan, Blue White Control, Phoenix, Pure Steel Paladin showing up. Um, deck you don't see every day, um, but that has had some scattered success over the last five years or so. Um, two more copies of Is It Phoenix and an Urzatron. A um, couple of things jumped out at me here. The Amulet Titan list that won had three Karn the Great Creator. That card is everywhere. It is surprising how much play that's seen, really. I mean, it's an interesting card, but I'm just surprised at where it's seen play. Like, really? An Amulet Titan? Colorless, 
planeswalker that sets up a toolbox um, and shuts off other people's artifacts uh, apparently is good enough. We're not sure where the best home is yet. It's not, but I can't remember the last rare we saw that was showing that was five owing or winning tournaments in this many different lists so quickly. Like even something like Snapcaster Mage doesn't compare or Dark Confidant. Both of those cards tended to like slot into one or two lists fairly quickly. Like we're just obviously powerful, but more or less only in those lists. And Karn is at my last count has five out or one or top aided at least seven different lists in modern. It's a lot of lists. I, I think so part the of white, it, the white legendary list, the tr- green Tron runs it standard. There's a blue Tron list that runs it. Um, the uh, red prison list that we talked about earlier, amulet Titan running three copies in the main. Um, and there was a wacky planeswalker brew that, that ran it and I'm um, forgetting the seventh, but <laughs> suffice to say, that's a lot. I, I think the catch here was that we already saw Karn, a four mana colorless Karn. And it didn't blow us away. Like, it, we thought it was going to, right? Like, uh, Karn Sign of Urza, we thought was going to be really popular. Um, and it just didn't quite get there uh, in the way that I guess we anticipated. Maybe it was more so me than than Magic at Large. But I really thought a four monocolorless Karn was going to do a lot of work, and it hasn't. So I was a little lukewarm on Creator. I thought it was a, a cool set of abilities. They felt eh, maybe a little slow at times, and it's hard to evaluate how good that static ability is. Uh, but apparently it's good enough. Um, and actually, and now, that I, now that I've been thinking about what you were talking, it does make a little more sense in Amulet Titan, because um, a they can probably get this out pretty fast, like turn maybe turn two, definitely turn three, but you know probably turn two semi regularly, uh, which is going to be hard to kill it right away. And then if they don't kill it on turn two, this is a deck that's set up to pay for Mycosynth Lattice, right? It's a deck that makes a lot of mana, so this is this might be the strategy where that effect actually works, like where that's a reasonable goal. Yeah. The the other thing was in the second place list in this event, the blue-white control list, you're seeing uh, additional jostling of slots being taken up by tons of Planeswalkers. This second place list ran 10 Planeswalkers, two copies each of Jace the Mind Sculptor, Narset Parter of Veils, two Sahili Sublime Artificer, two Teferi Hero of Dominaria, and two Teferi Time Raffler. <laughs> and I don't think most uh, competitive players would have guessed that's where blue-white was headed when most of these cards were revealed. Yeah, I, I would expect that this is what blue white lists are going to look like in modern for in perpetuity at this point. Like it's going to be, you know, six or seven, five to seven planeswalkers. Um, although this one's got 10 uh, of varying stripes. Like you're going to have some Teferis, you're going to have some Jaces, you might have a Narsa in this one, maybe you have a Sahili in this one, maybe you've got a Dovin in this one, and that's just kind of what the lists are going to look like, and it's going to be adapted for the metagame. So it's going to be hard to pinpoint specifically which Planeswalker is the best bet because it's, they're going to run these mixes, but they're always going to be in, in, in the mix, I should say. Yeah, I want to echo something Kyle Lopez pointed out on Twitter uh, last week and that other people in the finance community have been echoing is that there's so much value packed into War of the Spark that 
supply will eventually catch up on demand. And by midsummer, you'll be able to find boxes relatively easily. But when you get to the end of that process and boxes are, you know, we're getting closer to rotation fall of 2020 and boxes are starting to dry up. That's about when you want to start thinking about putting a case away of this set. I think this set is the most likely since cons of Tarkir to double up, say, two years out from rotation. There is so many staples, multi-format staples in this set. And just like seeing things like Narset Parter Avails foils already being in like at an astronomical level for a foil uncommon, and Ashiok Dream Renders, um, which was two of in the sideboard, by the way. There's there's 12 Planeswalkers total in the complete list, um, being super high as well. I, I sold the Alt Art Foil Japanese Ashiok playset the other day, well over, well, slightly over $400. I mean, that's $100 <laughs> for Ashioks the month they came out. Um, partially because they're uncommon. not <laughs> yeah and and we talked about this off cast they're not really uncommons because the alter japanese is like a, a subset of cards that were released inside the boxes only in a single country and so their actual total number of copies created makes them probably closer the foil the, the foil and commons even the promos probably closer to a regular rare or even more rare than that somewhere between a rare and a mythic and then the rares and the mythics are just off the charts. Like I ran some math this week and figured out that, for instance, the Amano foil lilies are might only might have as few as two or three thousand copies pack foil, and then another say two thousand to twenty five hundred promo foils from Japan. Um, and if that's true, uh, it's no surprise that they're going for a thousand bucks because there just aren't that many out there. And a lot Isn't of them are being cracked and absorbed into collections and never to return. That was, uh, that's, I saw somebody else say this, but that's less than uh, Alpha Lotuses. Potentially. Like, I mean, in, definitely less than Lotuses and probably less than Alpha Lotuses. And I had a couple of different people, intelligent people, step to me on Twitter and attempt to challenge the math, but the assumptions they brought to the table were just wrong. Um, and provably so. Um, because most of my math d- derives from working backwards from the maximum like revenue percentage that war could take up, um, even if it's a blockbuster. Uh, against the total revenue that we know of for the the Magic brand, of which we have reference points from various investor reports over the last few years, and most of, most of other people's assumptions are based on things like you know the printed quantity they heard from somebody for say Battle for Zendikar. But the thing is that a a, a spring set, even a blockbuster, is not printed to the, to the same level as a fall set, and even if it were, it wouldn't be enough to change most of this math because. The Japanese quantity is still far, far less than the total war quantity. And though they were supposedly printing extra of it to feed the U.S. market, even when that shows up, I allowed for that elasticity of supply. There still just aren't that many of the foil mythic planeswalkers with alt art because they only show up 50% of the packs. If they were in 100% of the packs, it would be different. But we know for a fact that, for instance, mythic editions are about 12,000. We figured out along the way that masterpieces are probably in the 10 to 20,000 copy range. Um, the foil alt art Japanese are significantly more rare than all of those. Even if you double my math, like double everything, then it's like five to 6,000 copies, which would still be half as many as mythic editions. So they yeah, are still hyper. They're, they're basically hyper masterpieces. It's pretty nuts. 
for sure, for sure what those are looking like. Uh, I mean, I re- I think you want to go for Japanese boxes most likely, right? If you can find if them. They get low if they get low enough. Yeah, if you're going to be able to get them. What are they going for right now? About 2 to 220. Um, it was reversing course down to 180, but people just bought into that and swallowed up more than the mar- the supply could could handle. And the supply US side is supposedly incoming. Like the part that's going through the US distributors, not the part that's being imported from Japan by like vendors doing side deals. And I suspect like there's so much latent demand that if those get down to the 160 to 180 range, they're just going to get bought back up into the 200 range again. Yeah. Like if, if I see if any box I see at 160, I will buy because I know that the the current EV of those boxes is about 130 to 150. And you only have to get decently lucky to beat that by a lot. Like one of the boxes that was opened on stream for me by one of the guys in Japan last week, I, you know, this box one was really solid. I think I got like a foil Casmina or something like that, which is like a $70 card. Um, and then in box two, I hit a, a mono Lily non-foil. So that's a hundred dollar bill, crisp hundred dollar bill. And then the rest of the box, you know, even because the thing is that you can unload a lot <laughs> Of say you're going to get about 16 Altart Planeswalkers in a box. So even if none of them are not foil, you can unload that lot for thirty, forty, fifty, sixty dollars, depending on how lucky you get with what's included. And then you've still just got all. You can basically unload that. Maybe you hit one good Altart Planeswalker, or you hit a Nemano or something, and that'll pay for most of your box. And the rest of them are just standard cards you get to play with for free, mm-hmm. or absorb into your collection. It's. <sighs> It seems like that's probably your best bet is looking for cheap Japanese boxes um, and then sitting on those for a while, right? Like that is pretty tempting, I think. Um, If you're going to stash anything, you shoot for those because they will continue to reprint those cards over the years, but they're not going to reprint them in all art. So those should increase even fast. Like the Japanese ones should be even better positioned in the long term. And it's important to... Uh, remind everybody that they are going to be included in the LGS packs for core 2020. That's one of the ways they're going to help sell that set is that participating in LGS events is going to get you um, uh, the prize packs that I think are one in four to include an altar Walker. And I think one in four, of the packs are all foil. I can't remember if it's one in four of the packs are all foil or if it's a one in 16 chance of getting a foil walker. Is is that English copies? No, like, those, no, those are Jap- in America or Japan. The Japanese copies in America. Okay. Uh, so wait, so if you play F and M in America for core 2020, prize, you have a shot. You have a shot at getting the altered planeswalkers. So gotcha. that okay. will certainly lead to an influx of supply, which I hope leads to a quick like race to the bottom on some of the singles. And sets up a buying opportunity because those those like one time influx like inflection points where you get a bunch of supply but never again are not going to damage the long term value of these cards. They can reverse course briefly and take them down to a lower plateau, but as soon as people buy lean into that and buy a bunch up, it's just going to go right back to where it was. And by that point, you're going to have three months of price memory backing a lot of these cards. And mm-hmm. every time a cheap copies appears on the market in between, they're going to get gobbled up. You know, I was wondering how Wizards planned on making these anywhere near available to the average player. Uh, but that's what it is through the F&M packs, yeah. which makes sense. 
Yeah, so that certainly does add to the supply, but I even factor that into my math and it's just not a, a, a tremendously relevant number um, because the packs aren't, if they were, if those packs were all alt art planeswalkers and everyone had a foil, be a little, it'd be a little bit worse, but that's not what they are. They're a combination of a bunch of other standard cards. So, um, you know, somebody is definitely, you know, we're, we're definitely going to see 20 or 30 foil Amano Lilies pulled that week, but then they're going to get bought <laughs> and a lot yeah. of people are just going to keep them and not sell them. Yep, I mean these are the I mean those are definitely the types of cards like no one is buying an Amano Lily now who is the type of person who will sell it in a couple, you know, in a couple months or a year or two if they're hard up for cash. Like that's the type of card that's going to disappear pretty much permanently. I mean, there's a Mano sleeves that are coming in an order um from one of my partners in Japan that are going in the thirty five to forty five dollar range for a pack of fifty. That is so insane. <laughs> because you because you had they were only available in Japan, only during pre order season. You had to spend a hundred dollars in the store to get them. And if you I think if you spent ten dollars, you got a poster of the Lily Art, uh Amano Lily Art. And if you um if you spent a hundred, you got a pack of sleeves. So, you know, those sleeves seem expensive, but when you consider the dynamics by which they were released, go out two, three years, there's gonna be hardly any of those left. Well, they sound expensive because who the hell is paying $40 for sleeves that are not even good quality? It's just It boggles. I mean, I know people are going to do it, and it just upsets me. It upsets me that it happens. I, I put those sleeves on the level of the Brainstorm sleeves from like New Jersey 2014 or whatever it was. Yeah, I mean, it's just, but they're they're inherently a disposable product. You know what I mean? Like you can't, you, you can't, there's no amount of like, you can't sleeve your sleeves. Yeah, but you know what you want to happen to the collectible that you're going to hold sealed and never use? Everyone else is ruined theirs. Everybody else ruins theirs. It's like the G1 Transformer thing, right? You want everybody else to open their boxes and then they'll be worth thousands of dollars later. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's just it's just like wild that people are paying $100 for 100 sleeves. And it's like, God, are you dumb enough to play with them at that point? And, uh, <laughs> All right, so back to the modern Weeps. box. Amulet Titan, blue-white control, Phoenix deck wins, which was a pretty uh, standard red version of that deck. Uh, Pure Steel Paladin uh, was more or less the, the version that has been around for a couple of years now. I didn't see anything new in that list. Uh, Infect finished in the top eight there. And then, as I said, to Is It Phoenix, which were also, that was the Pyromancer Ascension versions. And the eighth place uh, Tron list, was it Running Karn? New Karn? No, it wasn't. This is uh, an older version, um, Running Oblivion Stones in the Karn slot. Uh, yeah. Actually, no, no, they were running Karn Liberated. Yeah, that's normal. That's their normal thing. Sorry, I, I mistook that for the, the other Karn. Not Great Creator, Karn, Scion of Rosa. Um, so moving right along over to the MCQ on Magic Online, we had Blue Red Aggro finishing first. This is like Arclight Phoenix, Augur of Bolas, uh, Crackling Drake, Goblin Electromancer, and then a whole pile of blue red spells. Nothing particularly interesting there. Um, second and third was the Esper Precinct list. This is Hero Precinct 1 to slow your opponents down. Um, Deputy of Detentions, Thought Erasures, Vraska's Contempt, and then... Seven Planeswalkers, one Liliana Dreadhorde General, who I must say has been showing up more of a onesie twosie than a threesie foursie, um, which uh, leads me to believe she's probably going to drop in price. Uh, the non-Japanese versions, of course. 
three mm-hmm. Teferi Hero of Dominaria, and three Teferi Time Raveler. I, I still can't believe they printed Time Raveler into a standard where you already had Hero. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Two super busted Teferis at once just seems like an interesting decision. <sighs> they're just they're just like, whatever, this summer, we don't care. Do whatever you want. We don't care. We're just going to ignore magic for a little while while you guys do this. Um, yeah, the Liliana comment is, is curious because... You know, all of this talk about the Amano Liliana and how expensive it is and how rare that it is and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah. And you know what else? This is not even with the cards good. Like, <laughs> like we are just kind of in a place where the utility of the card is sort of irrelevant. Um, but that's not necessarily the case. Like, what happens if the card is good? Yeah. If that, like, had, been really a modern good. Play- <laughs> if that had been a modern playable Liliana. Yeah. That would have been be crazy. Nuts. I mean, it's not, I mean, the card's already a thousand dollars. You can't do that much with it, but at the <laughs> same time, like, like it's not going to be worthless, right? Like that'll, that's certainly going to help because if it's proven to be playable in those formats, people are going to be like, well, I really couldn't justify it before, but if it's like a two of in modern and I wanted it and now I can play with it instead of just look at it. All right. I'm in like, Oh God. I mean, I got to. If you want to check, check in on the power of Teferi Time Raveler, the fourth place of this was White Weenie, but they were splashing for blue. And in the main, that just meant two Teferi Time Raveler, probably just to shut down counter spells. And like, yeah, probably. Because there's a lot of good counter spells in standard. And Teferi is becoming this pivot point in the format where decks that can afford to run Teferi can blank counter spells at a control decks in the same way that playing control decks blanks kill spells at a mid range. And they get to also leverage things out of the sideboard like Dovin's Veto, which is the negate that can't be countered, and Deputy of Detention, um, and then additional copies of Teferi Time Raveler. I mean, it's interesting to see a white weenie list willing to divert their mana base enough to run a blue splash. It's an interesting card in that regard because uh it is it's you know jerry wrote that article forever ago or no it was tom that wrote that article forever ago about like virtual card advantage right like it doesn't matter if your opponent's going to draw 20 cards more than you over the course of a game if they're going to be dead on turn four um so like blanking the cards in your opponent's deck is virtual card advantage uh and running to fairy in like a combo deck or a contr- an aggro deck like this is like, yeah, it's not quite as good as a card that like attacks and kills people, but if it blanks like 15 cards, 10 cards in your opponent's deck, like, oh, you're that's sort of like drawing like probably two-ish cards a game, and it also bounces stuff, like bounces their blockers so you can get through, and like, you know, it has some additional utility there that you might not be inclined to expect at first blush, but it turns out is actually really useful um for strategies like that and that's how it finds its way into a bunch of different decks and and it's interesting that it forces them to play like basically uh strategy exposed because they're operating on their turn because they can't do anything on your turn so the if they're going to get rid of one of your attackers they got to make that decision before you untap and do stuff um yeah and, and that's a strong like a major advantage for an aggro deck yeah, for huge doesn't give them the ability to pick and choose on their paths until the last possible second. Also means your combo is super safe, right? Like we haven't even talked about this in combo decks, like um, the Sahili combo decks type of thing where it's like, yeah, all right, like you can't break up my combo if I have to ferry in play and then end a turn. I uh, fell at our guardian and then play uh, 
Sahili on my turn and go off because I just never give you an opening for it. I'm pretty sure I saw one of the caught one of the French pros on Twitch this week streaming Felidar Guardians the Kaladesh Sahili. Not Felidar Guardian. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? The cat combo. Yeah, Felidar Guardian. That's the one for cat. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of uh, Felidar Sovereign. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. But yes, go ahead. Go ahead. Felidar French Guardian um, plus Sahili, and I think they were running to Fury to Fairy to basically make sure that people couldn't interfere with the combo at instant speed. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So this next de- list uh, built around Nicol Bolas, four Nicol Bolas the Ravager, four Nicol Bolas Dragon God, um, certainly underscores my point about his uh, usefulness in multiple formats, potentially driving the Mythic Edition version. And then a whole pile of uh, Bolasy black, uh, red, blue uh, control spells, Cry of the Canariums, Thought Erasures, Tyrant Scorm, Vraska's Contempt, and then two Liliana Dreadhorde General. Um, expect this deck to... No, I don't know if it's the top one or two decks in the format, but I expect it to be around because it's a pretty fun kind of deck to play. I like these ty- style of decks. I would, pr- I'm pretty sure I would pull this out if I was going to FNM, if I had that kind of time. Um, then there was two red decks, uh, one with the Chandras in the sideboard and one with three of her in the main. So it looks like red mages still haven't made up their mind about Chandra, whether she's main deck or side and how many, what mix of her plus experimental frenzy to be running. Um, and then a pure white deck in eighth position there. So diverse for moderns doing all sorts of crazy stuff, but still has a bunch of powerful decks leading the format. Uh, standard looks pretty healthy. Um, one of the better standards I think we've seen in, in a while. And I don't feel like it's solved. No, not at all. And you know, it's also the perfect time of year where for it not to get solved because people are just paying less attention to it uh, because it's kind of a pushing a dead format at this point. Um, Summer is always kind of a bad time for for standard to matter, essentially. Uh, and it's funny you say that the format's looking good because uh, there were some MPL changes. Uh, Yuyu Watanabe got kicked out because they believe he was cheating. Um, and Jerry Thompson resigned because he basically thinks Wizards doesn't know what they're doing and feels like he's being taken advantage of. And then um, Simon Gohertzen, uh resigned as a caster for them. Yeah, and, and we don't that- know. I we, we don't know why, right? Like I don't know if we have that information. But um, basically, Ari Lax was uh, was talking on Twitter today. Who's who's a smart cookie? He uh, he's he's got some good insight, even if you don't necessarily agree with him. Um, is always a good good at evaluating scenarios like this uh, and said this might actually be the worst time in magic's history if it weren't for how good r&d is doing is like everything outside of the quality of the game is like brutal uh with the mpl and and everything like that and it's just solely on the back of how good it is to play magic right now that this isn't considered like one of the worst times in in magic which is wild on a couple different fronts uh I mean, that's a bold claim to make. And also it's like, are you telling me the market's been this crazy? And at the same time, like magic feels really terrible to play. It's interesting. All very interesting. Kind of outside of the scope of our our show a little bit, but. uh, All right. So let's talk. Let's talk over Modern Horizons. What? do a quick review of what this set is all about and what your average player or speculator should be thinking about heading into the preview season. Yeah. I mean, I think my takeaway here is you got to be, you're going to want to be quick on the, on the draw here is you want to minimize your exposure 
on cards that you have that might get reprinted into modern uh, or might get printed into modern where that huge amount of additional supply might hurt you. Although, you know, to be fair, I actually don't think that there are many cards that you could own right now that get printed into modern that drop in price, right? Like for the most part, unless they get printed at like, unless you're talking about like an ancient common, like, I don't know, gush or whatever, foil gushes or something. No, even that wouldn't do it. I don't know. Do you think there's any cards that are going to decrease in price, at least at the outset, if they get printed, put in horizons? Because I want to say yes, but time and time again, it feels like that's not the answer. It's, I mean, it's possible that there's rarity shifts, right? Um, for instance, if they print something like slivers and they print an old common sliver that hasn't been printed in quite a long time, like a muscle sliver or whatever, that and it's printed at common and they print tons of these boxes, which they will over the next six months, then you know those things are going to be dirt cheap again. They're not going to be $2 cards. They're going to be 25 cent cards for a while. Um, so, but in terms of like major cards, um, rares and mythics, one of the things that I'm trying to drive home with people is that it doesn't matter how much of this you think they're going to print because that number is not the unlimited infinite number that you think it is. It is still limited by the overall marketing strategy and product strategy for the rest of the year. There's all this other stuff they want to sell us and it tends to sell better when the hype is focused on it. And so once the hype is off horizons, product will still be in the market, but it'll move a lot slower. And it will be even as the latent demand for the cards that are only ever ha- have only ever been printed in this set starts to build and build and that pressure starts to build up, people will be ignoring it more and more. And that tends to be what happens. We saw the same thing with Eternal Masters, where they printed a bunch of good stuff, a lot of it crashed, and then a year to like 12 to 18 months out, a lot of the foils especially were starting to take off hard because it really wasn't that high of a print run even though they printed it twice like they they did that surprise print run that that uh it came out early summer and then toward christmas we saw it again and everybody was like wait what more of this and it didn't matter in the end because it wasn't it's not a standard set so even though they're saying they're gonna i'm hearing that they're gonna print this probably like 70 to 80 percent of what a standard set would print at once it's out of print say a year from now you are going to be in position for some very hard takeoffs for the rares and mythics, especially. And uh, I, if I see cards that I think have great open edit synergy for modern and or commander or both at the same time, but don't have a deck right away, I am not going to hesitate to snap those off because it's a single source set. So once you can't find it easily, like I, I'll put it, put it this way. I predict $400 boxes 18 months out. Um, I think the set is much better than people think it's going to be. I think that it's very pushed. I think that the th- the choices they made with the set are going to be quirky and also ultra powerful. And because of all of like the complexity of this set, I think a lot of like you saw how people misevaluated cards from War of the Spark pretty much across the board. Like all you got to do is go back and listen to the episode where we're talking to Daniel and Daniel is a smart guy uh, and an accomplished pro and um, fully capable as capable as anybody of evaluating cards up front. But whether we were talking to him or Todd Stevens or whoever we've ever talked to, I take everything that pros say with a grain of salt because they are, they are less likely than your average player of getting it wrong, but it's still really hard to evaluate cards until you've played with them and seen them in context versus all of the other changes to the format in question. 
And I think that it, that is going to be doubly true of Modern Horizons. I think it's going to be a very tough set to evaluate. So there's going to be money to be made in the pre-order season where people are undervaluing cards and they go up too cheap. Jumping on those fast will make some people some money. Um, I think there's going to be money to be made on boxes because I, I, I think that there's going to be a lot of it printed. But I think the first wave will be intentionally... Uh, structured to be scarce like there'll be a full scarcity introduced and so a month out it might boxes may be drying out like drying up and later will be it'll they'll become more plentiful again but for a period of time not unlike what we're seeing with war right now you're going to see boxes box prices reverse course and start to push up towards their msrp uh well okay you said a lot of words there um i think that you know, on the topic of like the muscle slivers and stuff like that, they'll definitely come down in price. No question there. So if you can get like, I don't know what, four or five bucks for a muscle sliver today and they reprinted it common in Modern Horizons, yeah, they'll be 30 cents, but it's not going to be overnight. It's going to take time for that to happen. So I think if you've got any modern, any stuff that you're worried about, if it shows up in the spoilers, just list it. Like, don't wait, get it on the market. Prices will jump. Before the supply hits the market, will people try and get their copy so they can play with it right away? And then as more supply comes out, then they'll start to come back down. That goes for the commons and uncommons, probably the rares too, the mythics, you're likely safe. Um, as for the this supply being strained more than people expect, um, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with that. I you know We all have heard of how much they want to put out on the market of this, which is absolutely true. Uh, because they want to make sure people can get their car- hands on the cards right away so that they don't feel like they're getting priced out of modern. They don't want to release like a limited run modern set and change the format dramatically, but it costs you, you know, $200 a playset of the cool new cards to get in. Like that feels really bad and the PR is bad. That doesn't mean that they don't want the prices to get there in time. Because if they release this set, which has, you know, let's say 50 cards that are playable, truly playable in modern, uh, you can get them cheap right away, cheapish. But if you weren't there at the outset, if you weren't there during that deluge of supply, now you get a year out and those prices have already started to climb. And that gives them a real rich vein of reprints. When they've already, it feels like, kind of gotten a little... it feels like they're running out of cards to reprint. I mean, that was part of the problems with the inventions, right? Or the expeditions is they're like, oh, we accidentally burned all of our expedition or uh, masterpiece equity like really fast. So we kind of got to dial it back a little bit. Um, and giving that having modern horizons become more s- scarce and having those prices rise after a year and a half or two years is in wizard's best interest. Cause it means they can start doling them out to us and making them feel, making us feel like they're doing us a favor. The other thing that I, I've touched on before, but it's worth revisiting, is that the EV of a set is tightly tied to two things. One, the cost that vendors can get copies, uh, uh, can get boxes at from distributors. Um, and with a standard set, that's like $70, $75, $80, depending on how big of a vendor you are. Um, and so margins are already pretty tight on standard boxes. For masterpiece boxes in Modern Horizons, it's in like the 150, 160 range, right? So it's hard for the EV to crash down below that level. And so long as a a set is in print, the total value of the set is limited by the ability of vendors to restock boxes, crack them and sell singles until it drives the price back down towards the wholesale cost of the box plus whatever minimum margin 
the vendors will accept. So that could be, you know, driving EV of boxes down under 180 or something for some period of time. But once the boxes can no longer be replenished from the distributors, once they have sold out, the cap is going to be determined by the overall demand profile for the cards and nothing else. So two or three years out, when most of these cards have not seen a reprint, probably 98% of them, these boxes are going to be four to $500. There are going to be a ton of foil mythics that are pushing a hundred bucks, 50 to a hundred bucks. They're going to be a ton of foil rares that are, you know, 30 to 60. Um, there's going to be a bunch of uncommons that hit $10 because they jam the pack, the set full of value and, it was a $240 box. <laughs> so that that means that the EV is off the chain. The other thing people probably haven't wrapped their heads around yet is that when you're comparing it to a master set, master sets usually print our reprints. They're reprint sets um, and always have been. So they're always presenting those new copies into pre-existing inventory. You know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. and if you say, if they say do something like print counterspell here, well, there's Counterspell has been printed tons of times and there are tons of non-foil copies and they will, it'd be very difficult to drain out of the market, even if every modern player needs four. Um, so a lot of the cards that are seeing reprints and have been printed a bunch before modern ever existed will be less likely to take off. But the new cards, the cards that have only ever seen a printing in Modern Horizons, those are the rocket ships to watch because there's nothing limiting the heights to which they can reach. Once we get past those, those definitely seem like where your ultimate payoff is going to be is those cards that are brand new to modern, especially the ones that people don't figure out right away or aren't, um, aren't even cracked, like don't have the support right away. Right. It's not even that people might not figure it out. It just might be that the deck doesn't exist yet, but that ends up showing up a little down the road. And that's going to be where those prices go. Absolutely insane. That's where you're going to have, um, $50 rares from this set. And it's not going to happen right away. It'll take a year and a half or two years, but that's what's going to happen. Um, you know, if you're looking to make money on this, uh, aside from just the standard options, is it's definitely going to be at level two, um, at least like the first couple weeks, first month or two, is don't look at the cards that are coming out. Try and figure out how that changes modern and get in on on, uh, on the ground floor of that. So like as a point of reference, um, you know, when Vampire Hexmage was printed in Zendikar, you didn't make money by buying Vampire Hexmages. You went, oh, Dark Depths seems insane with this. I don't know what how this is going to work, but that seems like the card I'm supposed to buy here. Uh, and, and looking for those opportunities. And they're a lot harder to spot, especially when we're not talking about like one or two cards, but we're talking about an entire format getting flipped on its head. Um, it's going to be tricky to do, but I do think that if you want to make money, that's where it's going to be. So there's a couple of other things too. These boxes are not foil per pack. So unlike uh, master sets that tended to undercut the mid to long-term prospects of a lot of the foils, um, that's not going to be a problem here because these are the normal foil distribution for like a standard set. And if I'm... Rem- I don't think I knew that. And, and if I'm remembering correctly, they are 36 pack boxes. I don't think they're 24s. So if there are 36 pack boxes, then the cost per pack is actually less than a master set. Even though they are both $240 boxes, these packs are cheaper. So, mm-hmm. so that means mm-hmm. that 
you know, if you can get $180 boxes, but they're 30, 36 packs in a box, like, you know, Sports and More put up their sale on eBay today at 180 bucks. Plus, some people had a 10% off eBay coupon. If you're getting that box at like a set 175 and 36 packs, you're paying less than $5 a pack. So, and we don't know MSRP is what's, what's the supposed MSRP? Again? Well, the, the implied, no, the, the implied MSRP is 240, right? For the box, because it's, because the wholesale cost is about the same as a master set. Uh, what, well, what's that come out to on per pack for a 20, 36 pack box? Would you say 240, 240 divided by 6. 36, 6.7, so 6. right? 675 a pack. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, I mean, that that the those are some funky calculations because we haven't really had a like non-standard set behave like that in a while, right? Like, because uh, EMA EMA was all foil, right? Was EMA and IMA both had foils in every pack? God, it's been so long. Yeah, all all all, all master sets had foils in every pack. Yeah, but we're twenty four. So what was the last time we? When was the last? Have we had a product with a release like this before? No, that was thirty. No, uh, like like a a a a non-standard box that had thirty-six packs in a box that also had wow. that did not guarantee the, foils. The close the closest thing is Battle Bond, right? And but, but yeah. Battle Bond is what and and we saw what happened with that. Like let's put it this way: I think Modern Horizons is going to be a significantly more important set than Battle Bond, and Battle Bond boxes are already pushing two hundred. Well, yeah, especially because Battle Bond wasn't legal and modern, whereas yep. this is. Yeah, it's going to be a pretty nutty set, I think. Uh, I, Wizards hasn't done something like this before, really, and they are, I think, going to do a lot modern with this. I think. All right, so surprised. to cap things off, I think there's four opportunities. One, identifying singles quickly in pre-order season and scooping them before people realize how good they are. Two, just <laughs> buying <luck>. boxes <laughs> at the cheapest possible price, like preferably under 180 and then flipping them into whatever the supply, the constricted supply point is, which could be as quickly as two weeks out. And it depends how crazy these pre- this preview season is. If the preview season blows the doors off and everyone's like, whoa, I wasn't expecting it to be this good, then they're going to hit 240 in a heartbeat and they're going to start pushing over that. And they're going to dry up at the LGSs and people are going to start reporting that the smaller stores don't have any left or they're sold out for the first wave. And then it could push as high as 300. And then you... If you can manage to restrain yourself and not pop your boxes, you can flip them locally and make a good good chunk of change real quick and roll over into the next thing. And so the fourth opportunity is related to foreign boxes of Modern Horizons. Um, at first, I thought they were printing this like a master set where you're only getting like Chinese, Japanese and English boxes. Um, but it turns out they're printing it in all the usual languages, which actually makes sense when you think about it, because you can't strand all the modern players in the rest of the Magic countries without access to these cards, or it's going to be a com- complete nightmare for them. Um, so you have a situation where you know German and Korean, to some extent, Japanese certainly, and of course Russian, definitely Russian. Yeah, that is boxes going are going to be very attractive. I think anywhere up to and including three hundred dollars, because. Those have got to be future 500, 600, 700, maybe even $800 boxes. You get far enough out as the single source for years, probably of many new modern staples and the only foreign language printings of, especially with foils, right? So, you know, Russian foil, whatever the new Snapcaster mage is, has got to be a pretty big deal. Um, It's also fairly likely that though distributors in North America will have access to some of these languages, 
um, to some extent. It's there, There's not going to be a concerted effort by Wizards in the way that there was with the Japanese war product to get some back in the marketplace, which, by the way, at this point, we haven't even really seen happen yet. Um, so I, I suspect that stateside, a lot of that stuff's going to be very, very limited. So I'm definitely interested in snapping off some foreign product here. Yeah, and that's that's going to be the tricky part, for sure, for sure. But uh, there's... Man, this set is going to be wild. There's nothing like it. I am so angry that I bought a house because I'm not going to have enough money to really go hog wild um, and tie up, tie it up for a little while. But damn, there are going to be some options. All right, let's uh, let's bring this to a close. Um, where can our listeners find you, James? You guys can find me on Twitter at MDG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on MDGPrice.com. And I am constantly haunting the Pro Trader Discord. All right, and I am Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N, uh, and I write the Watchtower series every Monday over at MTG Price. Uh, I also would like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing magic the gathering uh once again oh wait you want to do our credit giveaway here uh yeah i had that all picked out um go ahead and do our next segment there all and right, i will right. get right back to you uh, once again while james is looking mtg fast finance is proudly sponsored by cool stuff inc Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering single, shield product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Shadow Thief 187 you are the winner of the $25 gift certificate from Cool Stuff, Inc., our fabulous sponsor. Go spend a ton of money with those guys and make sure we keep getting these sweet prizes. Yeah, go spend a ton of uh, money and make us money. Sort of. That's not how that works. Make themselves money. Yeah. And cool stuff money. They, everybody deserves it. Everybody gets money. Treat yourself. Uh, thank you, Travis. We'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.